Palm Sunday begins with a grand parade, Jesus riding on a donkey and folks joyfully shouting their praises of Hosanna. But it ends with Jesus stepping foot inside the gates of Jerusalem, that holy city where the authorities are already plotting his death. Palm Sunday is a good day to stop and ask why it is that Jesus really came. Did he come to save us? Did he come to die? In today's scripture lesson from John, Jesus proclaims, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But what does that mean? What is this abundant life of which Jesus speaks? A few weeks ago, you and I might have defined abundant life as a thriving stock market, pulsing money into the economy to create new jobs. A few weeks ago, abundant life was a wedding with 200 guests sipping champagne together, raising their glasses in a toast, and sharing those wonderful plates of white cake with cream cheese frosting. A few weeks ago, the abundant life was parents gathered on the sidelines of a soccer game, cheering for those toddlers to run towards the goal with the ball, kicking the ball, rather than standing around and staring in space. The abundant life meant, just a few weeks ago, economic prosperity and overly busy calendars. But what about now? What does the abundant life look like when the health of the nation becomes compromised and we fear for our own safety and the safety of those whom we love. The Greek language has more than one word for life. The Greek word bios means life. It's how we get our word biology. It means basic physical life, created life, mortal life. But there is another word in Greek for life, zoe. This word refers to the spiritual life, the uncreated life, the eternal life. And in today's scripture, Jesus says, I came that you might have zoe, a spiritual life, an abundant spiritual life. Now, it isn't that Jesus doesn't care about our physical lives. He certainly does. In fact, in the previous chapter, Jesus healed a man who had been born blind so that he might have a better physical life. But Jesus came into the world that you and I might know something more than physical life, something beyond. There are two people who taught me a lot about this Zoe, this abundant life, Wendell Berry and Thomas Merton. Wendell Berry has always been one of my literary heroes, and Thomas Merton, one of my spiritual heroes, but I had never known before last week that the two of them actually shared in conversation, that they met one another, and then I realized it makes perfect sense because Merton lived in Kentucky in a monastery where he practiced solitude and prayer while also advocating for a more just society, and Wendell Berry also lives in Kentucky on his farm where he writes poetry and essays and novels. Well, it turns out that the two men talked together, and Wendell Berry asked Thomas Merton about that religious sect in American history, those people known as the Shakers. Those Shakers are those folks who believe that the world is just about to come to an end, and yet 
they make the absolute best furniture, furniture that will last for generations. And they also save seeds to improve the quality of the food for the next generation and the next. And Wendell Berry wanted to know from Thomas Merton, why would they do that? And Merton replied, well, when you think the world is about to come to an end, you don't need to hurry. You can take all the time you need to do your very best work for the community. You and I have entered this strange and surreal time where we can see a little bit more clearly what matters ultimately. Yes, we are socially distancing, but we are also reaching out to friends and neighbors in a new way. I have talked to my parents who are in their 80s in Texas and my sister who is single in San Francisco more in the last three weeks than I have in the last three months. My husband and I are sharing more unhurried moments together to savor dinner around the dinner table and to even play a game each night of bananagrams. My neighbors, who I never have time to talk to, stand each night in our driveways, talking to one another, sharing stories and laughing. And my stepson has reached out to all of his cousins around the nation and in other countries, and even to the step cousins, just to check on them. I'm now in frequent, almost daily contact with friends I have in Italy and in India. And it feels like all of that has something to do with the abundant life. Jesus says in this text from John that he is the gateway to the life that really is life, to this abundant life. Jesus says, I am the gate. Enter by me. You can go in and you can come out. You can be safe and you can find freedom. Think about gates. Where do we place them? Sometimes around our backyards or around gated communities or in the rural areas around the pasture to keep the farm animals safe. And think about the gates in the ancient world. Around a walled city, there is a gate. And Jesus says, I am that place, that threshold that you pass through an entryway to discovering this abundant life, this zoe, this life that really is life. Harry Boonstra recalls growing up as a little boy in the Netherlands. The year was 1944, and the Germans had overtaken Harry's homeland. They were forcing all the young men in Harry's town to work at the ammunition factory making weapons for the war and some of the young men had refused and they had gone underground into hiding and one of those young men was hiding in Harry's house. Harry and his brother and his parents lived in a house that was a duplex having a shared wall with their next door neighbors and along that wall was a closet and it so happens that their neighbor's wall also had a closet that was very near, and so they cut a hole in the wall of the closet, and they instructed the man in hiding that if anyone ever came in, he could quickly get to safety by slipping in to the next house. Well, it was all supposed to be a secret, 
Harry wasn't even supposed to know, nor his brother, but you know how secrets are. People find out, and people in the community found out, and one day, three German soldiers banged on the door of Harry's house, and Harry's mom looked completely unfazed by it, and as the soldiers came in and began to search, his mom walked casually over to the kitchen sink, and she continued to wash the dishes, and while she was standing there at the sink, she reached over, and she pulled a little cord that sent a signal on a string into the closet, and when the soldiers opened that door, the man in hiding had slipped through the little gate, the little door in the wall to the neighbor's house and was safe. The threshold in that tiny closet was the gateway not only to bios life, but to the spiritual life, Zoe. At the end of the scripture lesson, Jesus uses yet a third word for life. Jesus says in the final verse, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Only this time, the word Jesus uses for life, it is neither bios or zoe, it is suke. It is the Greek word for soul. It is the word that we use to get to the word in English, psychology. Jesus offers his life, his soul, that you and I might know life. On Palm Sunday, Jesus steps through the city gates of Jerusalem knowing that his bios, his life, is in danger, but he never imagines doing anything else because he knows in his heart of hearts that nothing can stop his suke, his soul, from loving God's people. There is more to this life than basic life. There is more even than the spiritual life. There is, in this world, the soul of God, and it comes to life in you and in me. It comes to life in the life of the world. I was walking, walking with a neighbor. Oh, yes, we were six feet apart. She's a nurse, but she's not one of those nurses that has any face-to-face -face contact with her patients. She talks to her patients on the telephone all day long, navigating their journey through surgery and radiation and chemotherapy. She's in her 60s, and she told me that her boss has prepared her team that in a few weeks they may be needed for direct patient care. They may need to move to the front lines. And she says, I imagine that when that time comes, the personal protective equipment may be in short supply. And then she said, I know in my heart that when the time comes, I will go. I will do what is needed. I am ready. But I know it might be hard. I say to her, you could retire. And she said, well, I'd never given that a thought. I won't. Yeah, financially, I could. But I won't. If I'm needed, I'll go. Abundant life, no matter what. It is a gift that God gave, and God gives it still. Not just our breath or our biology, 
but our souls alive, a spiritual vibrancy that knows no boundaries, not even the grave. In her book, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamont tells about another time in the United States history when people were afraid of a contagious disease. It was during the AIDS epidemic. Ken, a white man, had AIDS. After his partner, Brandon, died of AIDS, Ken's heart was terribly broken, and Ken found a new spiritual vitality by simply coming to church week after week. Ken was so sick. He had the most lopsided face. His face and his body were ravaged by disease, emaciated, but when he smiled, his face still had this radiant glow. And Anne Lamont says in her book that when he smiled, Ken looked like God's crazy nephew. One of the women in this church was kind of standoffish to Ken. Her name was Renola. She was a large, beautiful African-American woman who had been raised in a very conservative congregation. And she believed that Ken and folks like Ken were sinners. But Ken had been coming to church for about a year, and Renola had begun to realize she probably should cut him a little slack. On this particular Sunday, the congregation was having a hymn sing. They began by singing Jacob's Ladder. Every rung goes higher, higher. But Ken couldn't stand up. His health was too compromised. He sat in his pew with his hymnal in his lap, singing. And then they went to the next song. His eye is on the sparrow, and the whole congregation rose up, and they began standing together and belting out, Why should I feel discouraged? Why do the shadows fall? And Renola looked over at Ken, and she looked at him with skepticism. And then Renola's face began to contort and bend the same way his did. And she moved over towards him. She went right up to the side of him. And she bent down and draped her arms around him. And she lifted his body up. It was like a rag doll, like a scarecrow. His body was draped against her body like a child. And together, Ken and Renola sang. And it was life, abundant life.